Welcome to Identity Matters, digital identity and the evolution of the internet, a special InnovationOz.com video podcast series brought to you by Ping Identity. From debating access to anonymity issues in online culture wars to fighting cyber threats on the commercial internet or in the delivery of government services, identity impacts everyone. In this series, we will speak to a compelling list of experts to trace the global online trends that have helped frame digital identity and to understand the cyber landscape shifts that have shaped identity access management practices and zero trust environments. Join us as we explore the philosophical and practical sides of identity, the fundamental issue at the heart of the internet. Hello and welcome to Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet, a podcast series produced by InnovationOz.com in partnership with Ping Identity. I'm James Riley, the Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. Today, I've got with me Steve Dillon, the Head of the Asia-Pacific Architecture at Ping Identity, and I've got Andrew Black, Managing Director at Connect ID. Welcome, gentlemen. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, James. Uh, Andrew Black, let me start with you. Just talk us through Connect ID. There's been a lot happening recently. I understand you guys have just gone live with a couple of very big uh, customers. Where are you up to? Yeah, absolutely, James. Um, yeah, exciting time for us. So for those who haven't come across Connect ID, we're a digital identity exchange. We um, sit as part of what's uh, now called Australian Payments Plus, so that's an organization that's brought together FBOS, BPAY, and MPP. So it sort of effectively runs the domestic payment infrastructure for, for Australia. And Connect ID is sort of looking to do very similar, but in the digital identity ecosystem and economy. So our role is to be an exchange and also sort of a network provider and governance provider. And that effectively means we're a trust network at its core. So we allow Australians to use an identity they've already set up already created a trusted organization such as a bank. Uh, and that announcement that we've recently made about Commonwealth Bank and National Australia Bank now being live and on the platform means those customers can use their bank to log in or verify or sign up to a new service. So they're removing that need really for them to take photos of passports or documents and, and sort of manually enter information going forward. So we act as that bridge. So just before we uh, go to, to Steve Dillon, I want to ask you, you've been working with um, with the federal government uh, on the TDIF, the Trusted Digital Identity Framework. All right, so just explain how, I mean, that process has taken some time to come to fruition. You've, you've just gone live with, with this uh, system with, with ComBank and, and the NAB. So are we at the end of that process? Uh, we're at the end of the beginning. I guess so to, from a, a TDIF point of view, sort of a couple of different distinctions. So the the framework that the federal government set out sort of towards the end of 2016 has been in draft until that point. Um, what it sort of sets out to do broadly, sort of place some rules around the, the whole digital economy and the interaction between public sector and private sector. So there's a few different areas within that. And one of those is being accredited. So being accredited under the Trusted Digital Identity Framework, which Connect ID is and was the first digital identity exchange to do so from the private sector. And that helps set some sort of rules for the road 
really, in terms of how private sectors should engage with public sector services for, for identity and data. What it also, though, means is that when we get to this point now, which the Minister, uh, Minister Gallagher has sort of advocated for in terms of actually legislating into next year, that'll help provide effectively the, the goal for that interoperability. At the minute, uh, there's government services, federal government services that are used across MyGov, ATO, MyGov ID, for example. But this legislation will allow for that interoperability and allow effectively a, a private sector organization like Connect ID to be that bridge from public to private. So as an individual, when you go to sign up for a new account somewhere, you could use your bank or you could use MyGov ID or potentially state government service as well. So it's uh, it's been a, a process of a lot of consultation over the past couple of years and ongoing consultation where we're continuously feeding back feedback to the Department of Finance and, uh, and the Minister's office, but excited for the sort of next step next year. All right, thank you. And Steve Dillon, I wonder how do you, how does Ping Identity is a very very different organisation. Just how do you fit into that? Firstly, discussion about what the framework looks like, and now that there there is the framework there, how do, how does Ping sorry Ping plug into that? Yeah, so Ping not necessarily a household name because we are primarily a B two B business, but. Uh, we are one of the largest providers of identity services and solutions on the planet. So we we work with, with businesses around the world to ensure that they're implementing strong digital identity solutions that are both seamless in terms of the customer experience, but also as secure as they possibly can be. Uh, so we, we, we service those customers primarily. One of my roles at Ping locally in APAC is to ensure that we are doing uh, a good job of aligning with region-specific initiatives. And so that's going to be things like Connect ID and, and helping our customers work within the Connect ID ecosystem, as well as things like consumer data. So uh, I'll just save with you for a minute, Steve, if you can just talk to me a little bit about privacy and consent. I mean, these are huge issues for some people, so others not so much, I guess, but um, huge issue for, for some people. How in digital ID, how do you how do, across different services using the same ID, how do you how do you manage that? What does it look like? How does Ping do it? Yeah, so we we have a take on it, and then I, I suppose there's what Connect ID would do. Uh, where we help specific companies with this is firstly by providing a, that secure identity layer, uh, but then also giving them the ability to not just collect consents uh, from their customers to share data. That's that's relatively straightforward. Where it gets complicated for a lot of particularly enterprises is in the ability to mediate that consent across legacy infrastructure, um, different org units, and, and all of those really complex IT and people problems. Um, so we do have solutions that allow you to do fine-grained authorization, including consent management uh, across those those broad ecosystems. Uh, in in the context of something like Connect ID, we're really about helping companies connect into that ecosystem, uh, and then Connect ID has some really interesting features that allow end users to to control how they share that data and what it's used for. So, Andrew Black, the 
Connect ID isn't just about uh, private sector organisations kind of being an into like connecting into or retail consumers connecting into government services. It's it's also different private sector organisations being able to swap customers, if you like. I'm trying to think of a better way to term that. Is that is that the case? So 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 kind of close, yeah, James. We um. We'll actually probably start in the latter. So actually today, we, as we launch, we're, we're sort of focused on private sector organizations. And what that sort of fundamentally means is that if you are a business who needs to onboard a new customer, uh, it could be a business in some of our early sectors, such as rental. So the rental market being one, you're sort of looking at new tenants or uh, even from landlord's point of view, onboarding into new platforms, you'll no longer have to rely on maybe taking photocopies of driving license or passport or uh, even digitally uploading some of those, your customers, uh, if they enable Connect ID, will be able to use, for example, ComBank or NAB to verify who they are. And that list will extend. So we're starting with those two major partners, but we're supported by all four major banking partners. Um, and we expect that to also extend across other private sector services. And really, the core for that is, is thinking about well, the sort of why. So the overarching issue that we're trying to, to help solve is how do you reduce the amount of data that's having to be shared? And that's sort of more and more timely as um, as the breach count adds up, unfortunately, in, in Australia. But um, uh, as those grow and as scams and sort of fraud grows as well, thinking about how do we reduce the amount of data that A, businesses need to gather and the customers need to share. Um, and, and doing that in far more customer-friendly way from an experience. So being able to do that with, for example, ComBank, you're able to log into the ComBank app, simply see the amount of information that's required from, say, the rental estate agent, have a transparent list of what that is, which would be less than today, and give express consent. So it's sort of two, three taps instead of fumbling around for documents, uploading things, and uploading that unnecessary amount of information. And what we mean by that unnecessary innovation is like, you know, if you send your driving license, that, yeah, proves there's an identity credential there. But what the rental estate agent doesn't need to know is, can I drive a scooter or a lorry or all the other, you know, information that comes associated with that, which just isn't needed. So we'll start very much in that private sector to help businesses reduce that information they need to capture and help give customers more trust and more choice about where they do that. And then from next year and, and beyond sort of span Hopefully that sort of public-private interoperable network. So that's so this will drive this kind of fame, tell us once kind of functionality, uh, and and bring with with it the added benefit that you don't have to have personal information stored all over the internet. This is what we're we're getting at, right? Exactly. Uh, and the way I sort of like to think about it is, we're trying to transition away from what's been a set of processes that have been digitized. So typically, you would. You know, have gone into a branch and handed over a bit of paper or plastic. And now what we do is we typically take photos of paper and plastic. And that's a better experience. But actually, what we're moving is to a digital experience where it is digital. You've already set something up with a trusted provider, be it a bank or a state government. Um, and you're able to reuse that. And that reusable, trusted digital identity means that as a customer, you can see where you've shared it. You've been involved in the consent of each one of those. There's no data being shared without your knowledge or your consent. 
you have full visibility of where and when and what. You know, it gives kind of that customer centricity and control, whilst also absolutely sort of improving the uh, the journey and moving more to a set up once and reuse model. So, Steve Dillon, it's quite a philosophical jump, isn't it, to enable that kind of someone else's credentials to get into your service. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd say specifically that's on, uh, I mean, it's quite a jump for governments, right, to allow access to a government service for someone else's credential. Yes, it's all about trust, but works both ways. If I've got a MyGov ID, am I going to, is the bank going to let me get into the, get into my account? I honestly can't speak to the specifics of that. Um, but a- a- as you say, it is very much all about, about trust. There is a, uh, an accreditation scheme that goes into becoming part of TDF or TDF, sorry. Um, and so, yeah, it really is about extending the trust boundaries within, uh, I guess, a network of proven entities. Uh, but really, as Andrew sort of alluded to, the, the goal here is to enable new digital experiences uh, and, and effectively make people's lives better by not having to share the same data points over and over again, not having to overexpose data. You know, we're only sharing the, the, the things that companies need to know, not all of the other bits that go with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's a, an exciting time for the digital identity space in Australia. Okay, so so let me, let me just before I go to you, Andrew, let me ask this new architecture and the ability to share credentials across the, these trusted networks would you like obviously startups in a big way will are focused in this area are you expecting to see you know a, a, that momentum uh you know really take off in that software space yeah so potentially i think one of the the really great things that connect idea have done is that they've they've made the barrier to entry for this as low as possible uh, so while you certainly can use products like Ping to help you integrate uh, a full enterprise ecosystem into Connect ID, they do have some SDKs and developer tools as well that really allow, as you say, some of those smaller startup type operations to, to quickly integrate in. And as I sort of alluded to in my response to the last question, it is a very innovative space with some really good customer experience possibilities. And so I think the, the startups are in a good position to take advantage of that. Andrew, do you want to go have a go at that one? Yeah, probably with, with uh, less of a developer hat on. That's, that's Steve's expertise for sure. But but thinking from a startup point of view, one of the bits of feedback we we often get from businesses in the sort of small, medium sort of end of, uh, of sort of scale is actually where this will really help them is reduce the amount of data they even have to capture. So those are the organizations who don't have the security forces of a uh, of a of a ping or a, or even of a of a CBA or a NAB, right? So, helping them onboard and acquire new customers quickly with a good experience, with reducing the amount of data they have to capture is good for their risk profile and risk appetite. So, it's thinking about what we think the benefits for them will be, which will be enhanced products and services, but also just helping reduce that need and, and that sort of compliance overhead, which is a is a tough one to navigate for any new business. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of fascinated by this, particularly the interaction with with government. And uh, Andrew, you're 
I mean, you haven't worked in the public service, but you've certainly done, you know, been advising in that area. So from a startup digital service delivery organization uh, who has to interact with a government organization, if you're thinking in terms of, I don't know, Department of Social Services or some kind of, you know, NDIS or social services related activity, like this could potentially act as a spur to a whole new way of, of delivering third, like not third party services, but services through private sector companies. Absolutely. So this is where we see the, the benefits really across the digital economy. So there's a huge opportunity to enhance productivity by leveraging uh, these types of new innovations, in particular reusable digital identity, and thinking about the the benefits that brings to startups of you know lower overheads, lower uh, onboarding costs, compliance costs, you know the ability to acquire customers quicker. That sort of applies across enterprise scale uh, organizations as well. But where you have an interconnected sort of fabric of a digital economy, where this is where the the core opportunity for sure is to make sure we get this right, and thinking about uh global examples so some some the stand out that really sort of always sort of come to mind are are in the nordics so thinking about things like bank id where the average citizen i think uses that service you know over 200 times a year to log in or authenticate to to different products and services across public and private sector that gives a huge leg up to small businesses startups tech startups or or even traditional businesses as well to reduce a kind of core element of what they're expected to do here. So the key for us is to get it right. And the key for us is to make sure that we have a, a hybrid and an interoperable network across public and private. And that's what Connect ID is here to do, to provide that bridge across private trust islands, but also into public sector in the future. But there's a huge opportunity and, and the value, I think, even being sort of reported by by McKinsey and some of our reporting around sort of up to 3% of GDP for, for a developed economy such as Australia to unlock some of that value, as well as, you know, we're not even touching the the surface of the the epidemic of fraud and scams that have been on the on the rise and trying to provide some stronger trusted authenticated credentials behind that. But the yeah, the, the opportunity is massive so for just on that, organizations. Can I ask you why is it so important that government is is I mean, it's obviously a huge chunk of the the economy, but why is it so important um, for it to be, you know, to be active and live and, you know, and sharing those credentials right now? Well, I think it's really important and it's the way it does it that's really important we get it right. So government already does this today, right? And if you think about in Service New South Wales, for example, you can check in or log into an RSL using a Service New South Wales app. MyGov ID is in use across different states and, and territories and agencies and government services. So it's already in place in some way, shape or form. What's really important though for businesses is that they only have to go to one place to access all of these services. So the risk we run by not doing this, I'll say well or right, but but interoperable is as a business, a small business, I have to decide, do I connect to a government service, to connect to a private service like Connect ID, to connect to another separate organization. It's it, the overhead of connecting to multiple different places is where we'll likely, if we don't get this right, sort of hit our demise. 
and then there won't be the uptake, there won't be the adoption, and we won't recognise the benefits. So I think, and, and it's credit, TDF is set up in this way so that it creates that um, set of rules and standards across the sort of public and private spheres. But that's the, the core opportunities to get this right so that as a small business, I can integrate to someone like Connect ID and my customers can choose to log in through MyGov ID, through ComBank, through NAB, through Service New South Wales, for example. Uh, that's the, the core opportunity we really have in front of us to make sure we make this easy for businesses. Well, as someone who gets very frustrated with some of the security, I mean, who gets very frustrated with uh, some of the some of the things we have to do to um, to access websites, um, I welcome this. But uh, Steve Dillon, I wonder, digital service delivery. We always we always talk about you know trying to make things friction free or to reduce friction to make things you know super easy. In terms of security, friction free doesn't always work. As I sometimes on my phone when I'm getting into a one of my apps, I think, oh my god, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, how did I just do that so simply? So where does where does friction work in our favour in terms of um, access? Yeah, so we we do one of the things we talk about is appropriate friction. So obviously, we do want to reduce the amount of friction that end users see as much as possible. Um, but there are times where you do want to introduce a bit of friction. And so, for example, let's say I'm about to transfer $10,000 because I'm buying a new car. If I'm just allowed to do that without any any friction at all, without any barriers or roadblocks, that as an end user is going to make me feel not protected. It's going to make me feel nervous. And so in those scenarios, it actually is appropriate to use something like a, a transaction approval or an MFA prompt to to give the user, firstly, I suppose the, I don't want to call it the appearance of security, but let them see the security. Uh, and then also use actual strong controls um, that go with something like a transaction approval. So you don't just ask a user to type in a, um, uh, a pin, right? You, you actually send them some context and say, Hey, you're trying to transfer this money from here to here. Do you want to approve that? If so, take this action. Um, there's also a lot of things we can do in the background as well. So let's say on, I guess, a, a more uh, obscure example, if, if you're just logging in for a day to day transaction, we can be doing a lot of checks in the background. So we, we know for you, James, potentially what your logins look like. We know where you're logging in from, what time of day you usually log in from, what sort of machine you log in from, even down to like screen resolutions and things like that. And so we can build a really rich profile of what a user looks like and whenever you see variations on that then you can start to introduce friction as well um, but e even in that scenario sometimes it's useful even if you don't necessarily need a little spinning wheel sometimes you just want to pop it up anyway and just let people know that you're checking that stuff yeah. just to make them feel a little bit better. oh my god i'm never going to look at that spinning wheel in the same way again <laughs> all right and andrew black i want to ask you about uh pass keys um just to to start winding this this down, a large search engine company prompted me to set up a passkey recently. So just talk us through, what, what's your view of implementing passkeys? How will it impact the way you guys manage uh, the customer experience? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting trend, actually, and, and one that is probably fairly indicative and actually, in a way, is fairly similar to the way we've thought about Connect ID, right? So... 
Um, that sort of trend tells us that what do customers want? So they want other organizations to look after things for them, right? So passwords are painful and becoming more and more complex. So actually, what do we want to do? We want to outsource some of that to a, uh, we can debate the level of trust of that third-party search engine, but but to somebody else, right, effectively. And what else do they want to do? So they want to use maybe Touch ID or Face ID or a biometric to help unlock that rather than have to, again, type something in. So they want friction-free experiences. They want to be able to outsource some of that memory or, or headspace as opposed to writing it down in a post-it maybe at home. And actually, that's, again, largely the same feedback we get around identity. So whether it's a password or whether it's your identity or your data, the typically, uh, as we've seen in quite a lot of our qualitative and quantitative data, you tend to trust banks. That's a, a sort of fairly common sort of scoring that comes out. That's a, or certainly trust your bank to look after it. They already look after your money. So being able to look after your data or your identity and the way we develop the solution is to think with that sort of very sort of similar customer experience in mind. So when you're sharing it, we don't ask you to put in anything new. You log into your bank in the same way you would today. So it's a, often a face ID on a phone or a touch ID or some form of um, you know, passcode, but it's, it's something you're familiar with as an authentication experience, and then consent to sharing it. So I think it's part of that broader trend that we're asking and demanding more and more from individuals to come up with more creative and more complex passwords rather than sort of just childhood pets. But actually the challenge of doing that then often means that individuals are looking for others to help them. And I think that's where that sort of trends across identity and across data. Yeah, 100%. Um, Steve Dillon, I wonder if you want to talk on that. It's uh, Ping. Have you seen Ping customers implementing passkeys? How's that going? <laughs> yeah, so passkeys, really, it, it started to gain steam about a year ago when Apple announced it at their Worldwide Developer Conference. So it's something that a lot of customers are in the early stages of, of looking into, whether it's still, uh, I suppose, doing feasibility studies on it or whether they're actually in the early stages of implementing. Um, there's not too many companies globally that have that have gone fully fully into passkeys. Um, you know, certain search engines, for example. Uh, but we certainly are in the early stages of of those deployments. I think one of the things to look out for with deploying passkeys is because it is still quite new, and because the standards are still evolving. What you're going to see is firstly there needs to be a little bit of a, I suppose, a user adoption cycle to get them used to it. And that's going to be led by the search engines and those sorts of companies. Uh, but also there's varying degrees of browser support. So Passkeys is very heavily dependent upon support from the major browsers. Uh, and the level of that support, depending on which browser you're using, does vary. Uh, so, yeah, I think at the moment it's very much a an opt-in you know, advanced user type of a capability that you want to enable. Uh, but, you know, over the next one, two, five years, we, we should see it hitting the mainstream and becoming much, much more common. All right. You've been listening to Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet, brought to you by innovationoz.com and Ping Identity. Just to wrap up, uh, I guess I'm going to give both of you uh, a quick opportunity to talk about what happens in the next 12 months. What do you hope to happen, but what 
you expect actually will happen in the digital ID space. Andrew Black, you got you must be very excited. You got you, you, you're really off and running now. But uh, what do twelve months look like? Yeah, it's an exciting time to be asked it. So as we've we've just launched, um, there'll be a couple of things we're expected to see in the next sort of twelve to twenty four months, really, which looks at uh, users starting to use Connect ID. We'll start seeing it. Um, across websites, across journeys, potentially in store. So, so keep your eyes peeled for it and starting to use Commonwealth Bank and NAB as sort of trusted identity providers. And then beyond that, we'll be expanding that sort of set of coverage with other banks, with other providers. So really that next 12 months is, uh, is exciting. We're able to put it in front of Australians and, and start to hopefully see a, a real trend towards reducing the amount of data that has to be shared. And Steve Dillon? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I'd have to, I think, echo Andrew's comments. I think Connect ID is the, probably the most interesting thing that's happening in the identity space in Australia at the moment. Uh, and then you, obviously, James, you've already mentioned Passkey. So I think globally speaking, that's, that's probably the most interesting trend for the next 12 months. All right, Steve Dillon, Head of Asia-Pacific Architecture at Ping Identity and Andrew Black, Managing Director at Connect ID. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Chips. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet Video Podcast Series brought to you by Ping Identity. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit pingidentity.com.